0: Hi, everybody. This is John Montoya. And this is John Perings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition.
1: Episode 25, how to get started with infinite banking if you're in your 20s.
0: All right. This is a show that you and I, we had some fun with uh, doing some pre-planning because uh, we're going to talk about what we would do differently if we could go back in time and talk to our 20-something self. And we're also going to be touching on what the challenges are that 20-somethings face today. What should be your first priorities if you are a 20-something? We're also going to talk about the number two thing we hear people say the most and also the top objection 20-somethings might have when looking to get started with IBC. And last but not least, we also have a recommending reading list uh, for those of you in your 20s that uh, we feel very strongly about uh, that you should go out and pick up these books and continue your financial education.
1: Yeah, and I'll... I'll just say from the get go, if you're twenty something and listening to this podcast, congratulations because it's uh it's not super common that someone in their twenties is is looking at life insurance or even really <laughs> cares that much about um making a plan and so if uh, if you're in your twenties and listening to this uh you're already a step ahead of a, a lot of other you know twenty something year olds.
0: Wait a second, John, so are you saying <laughs> when you were twenty something you weren't thinking about this stuff?
1: When I was 20, all I could think about was, um, you know, where is my next date coming from? Where am I meeting up with my friends? And uh, how much fun could I possibly have? And pretty irresponsible. <laughs> I was uh, I was not a super responsible uh, 20-year-old. And in fact, you know, I talked about kind of how I got started in the past. And, you know, I, it wasn't until my 30s when, I bounced a check at I think 37 years old or something, where I was like, "All right, I've, I've really got to get this under control." Where I I started learning everything I could about personal finance, and so when I when I talk to someone in their 20s and they're already thinking about stuff like this, it's it's it makes me so happy because I, I you know I always wish I could could go back. And so in my 20s. I did do what, so I wasn't completely irresponsible, but I did do kind of what the typical financial planning advice tells us to do, which is I put as much money as I could in in a 401k. Unfortunately, what those accounts are often called is a retirement savings plan. And so it seems like it shouldn't be a big deal, but I think the, the fact that we call them savings plans kind of gets... People in the wrong mindset, a lot of times, where I was putting money away. I thought, you know, I kind of thought I was doing a good job. I knew I could be doing better, especially with budgeting, but I was putting all this money away. And then 2000 hit and I had to liquidate it because I was in, a, in the startup world and got laid off and needed to support myself. I did the whole thing over again. And in 2008, we had another crash and I had some other stuff going on with my family and everything. I had to liquidate some money. So I was just kind of in this position after two pop bubbles where I, I didn't really have a retirement plan. It really just kind of shocked me as far as like, wow, this this really doesn't work. And so I was irresponsible, didn't do what I didn't do things as well as I could have done. And then, you know, it took me until I was in my thirties to really kind of get it together. And I know from our talks and our prep for this episode, you and I have like completely opposite 20-year-old financial experiences.
0: Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, I had a vision board that I created. I believe this was from a home ec class in high school my senior year. They, they had us draw a timeline and I probably put a lot of effort into it because um, I, I can still envision it to this day. And I had this timeline of how I was going to go to college. I was going to graduate in four years. I was going to get my first job. I was going to meet the love of my life, get married, buy my first house. I had a a blueprint for how my life was going to go. And that's really how I thought. I, I was pretty well organized mentally um, as far as how... I wanted my life to go. Of course, I knew really nothing about finance and how money actually works, but I did have that discipline to save money and I did have just an overall blueprint to what I expected to see happen in my life. And where where the twist happens for me is that, you know, I was doing all the things that supposedly everyone should be doing. Like you, I was contributing money to a 401k, putting money in the bank, uh, bought my first house exactly as planned, got married, started having kids, sold my first house, parlayed that into my next house, bigger house, ended up a refinancing taking equity out to buy another property an even bigger house from there and then you know 2007 rolls along and you know i think i'm in good shape because i'm supposedly doing all the right things and lo and behold this blueprint that i created when i was a senior in high school completely fell apart because i was riding the business cycle along with everybody else and I had no safety net. This is what I learned. I had no safety net. I had no uh, financial bunker for the downturn that I couldn't see coming. I think about it now as my quarter of a million dollar mistake in my twenties and the economic impact that you know has carried forward for, for two decades. I've, I've, I've rebounded from that, but it was a tough financial lesson to learn. I thought I was doing all the right things. I thought I was being responsible and it turned out that the traditional financial model it really doesn't put you in a safe place to be able to write out all the curveballs that life throws your way and so for me i i thought i was doing everything right and it turned out i wasn't first of
1: all on a serious note it's it's really interesting to see you know the different paths that people take and on a more lighthearted note the old 20 year old uh, self is kind of popping up in my head, and, and and is struggling to take away the correct lessons. Where I want to say, so you're saying that I was right to not care because it wouldn't have worked out anyway. <laughs> I don't think that's what you're saying. I that's think- not what
0: I'm saying. But you know, <laughs> in the end, you know, you you maybe weren't taking your finances seriously. I was, and we both sort of ended up in the same place where we had to start all over again.
1: Right where, and I think back to being a little more serious it's kind of like having no plan is not good but having the wrong plan is also not good and i think you know when when we have these quote unquote plans that are 100% based in risky assets like the market and even real estate we we have a situation where you know you limit your options in terms of being able to roll with the punches if anything doesn't go according to the plan
0: so let's talk about uh, what 20-somethings are facing that yeah. they need to address. Yeah,
1: I mean, typical 20-year-old just starting off in their career, you know, might not yet know what they, you know, quote-unquote want to do with their life, you know, a lot of a lot of people are and I was the same way, you know. You get out of college. I was a biology and chemistry major. I ended up doing absolutely nothing with that major. I rolled into uh, San Francisco in '98, and I'm like, "Hey, what's all this uh, .dot com stuff going on here? Maybe I'll try some of that out." So, you know, there's still some exploration that's happening, and because of that, there often there's a lot of college debt, and likely there's some credit card debt as we're starting off in our in our careers. Our income is not typically high just yet. Uh, Because we're just starting off and, you know, there's probably going to be multiple job changes, career changes, especially these days, uh, where people don't typically stay at companies very long. I certainly have some friends that are the exception to that rule where they've been, you know, like my brother in law has been at his company for almost 20 years, some other close friends 20 years, but I'd say most people, especially in the in the tech world that I where I deal with a lot of folks is there's, there's a lot of career changes and job changes that are happening.
0: Yeah, so what I'm hearing you say is that there's a lot of transition going on, you're, you're figuring things out, there's a real lack of financial education, because, well, we, we learn typically our money habits from our parents. And, you know, nothing in 12 years of government schooling, and even, you know, four to who knows, maybe six years now of college, uh, th- there's no preparation for how to manage your finances uh, once you become an adult and you're out on your own. And so what I hear you saying is that there's a lot of uncertainty and right. then we piggyback on that uncertainty by adding more financial uncertainty because we're given this advice that, okay, we, we've got to start saving and our savings, as you mentioned, predominantly goes into what they call a retirement savings account in the form of a 401k that that. You know, listeners will recognize now that you know it's—I call it a lobster trap—because you end up locking that money away if you're in your 20s for you know who knows uh, 30, 40 years, if not longer. Let's talk about the hierarchy of capital because I think you touch on this very well.
1: But uh, before I get into the capital, I think one of the things that drives me crazy for young people, and it drives me a little bit crazy because you know it it negatively affected me. And young people are told that because they're young, they can quote unquote afford to take on risk, and so they're encouraged. When they do lock their money away for the next 30, 40 years, they're told to put their money into these high-risk investments because they're told that they have time to make up for the losses. But the other side of that coin is never discussed. The other side of the coin being the great number of years and the long period of time of lost opportunity cost of those losses for the rest of their career or the rest of their life. I think it's a disservice where I think young people should actually focus on Protection first, and saving. And actually, we're, I'm jumping ahead. We're going to get into this, but I wanted to talk about that. Afford to take risk because if you look at the four tiers of of capital, the first tier, the base of the of the triangle, is safe assets like cash, you know, CDs, life insurance, cash value. These are all assets that are that have guarantees. You have liquidity. You have control. You know, they're they're really things that you have control over, and then there are three more tiers. I'll go through them very quickly. The the second tier things more like your business, investing in yourself. So things that you have control. You don't have full guarantees, but you have some control. You have some use and over what's going on. And then you can get into tier three, which are things that have you don't have control. You don't have guarantees, but you have some collateral, right, that can protect the principle of your investment. And then you go all the way to the top tier, and this is the least control, the most risk. And these are things like stock market type assets where you have no control, no use, you take all the risk, there's zero collateral. And what's unfortunate is when these young 20-year-olds, they come into their first job and their HR manager comes in and says, hey, you're young, so you can afford to take risk. Let's take all your savable money. And instead of putting it into this tier one, let's go all the way to tier four. The the riskiest, worst type of investment that you can possibly make, especially if you don't know what you're doing, which most people in their twenties don't yet. I think it's a real disservice that people are given to just skip all these other tiers of capital where you have more and more protection and just going all the way to the one where you have zero protection.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to keep in mind too, the advice that people often give, especially, you know, you you mentioned HR managers are are recommending that they get started with their 401k. In fact, they're automatically enrolled nowadays. So it, it happens regardless, take it with a grain of salt, because these are people that are doing the exact same thing with their money. And they're not aware of any other alternative options that provide additional benefits and overall create more long-term value for you not just during your working years but ultimately for retirement too.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's it, it's kind of surprising that the HR managers are able to almost give advice on how people should be you know what they should be doing with their money. You know, they're not licensed in in any type of, you know, finances and I think it's, it's kind of dangerous where, you know, you get these young people and even not young people, cause they're not young people are doing the same thing and they're going in there and they're just, they've get, they get a handful of choices in their 401k plan. And they're like, I guess I'll take the medium risky one. I don't know. And they just <laughs> check a box,
0: <laughs> what Right.
1: what part right. of that is a plan, you know?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Is that no plan or is, is that a plan? Right. Uh, we can debate that. But let, let's delve into what you could be doing instead. And we list this as priority one. And that is you got to save before you invest. And what that means is before you even start that 401k, if you're going to start a 401k, is that you should be setting up an emergency fund, mm-hmm. cash savings. Pure right. cash savings. And we talk about having nine months of reserves so that you have enough money set aside to write out any curveballs that life throws your way. Maybe you do have to transition out of a job. Maybe you're going to move across country for your next one. You know, you have to have money put away where it's safe, liquid, and if you need it an emergency, that's what it's there for. So if you don't have that set up, you really shouldn't be starting a 401k or any other type of investment or account for long-term savings.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's been tough, you know, the last 20 or 30 years, it's like as interest rates go down, more and more people are reluctant to keep money in cash because it's just not earning anything. It's unfortunate. And it it is a truth that we have to deal with. But if this current situation with, you know, COVID has shown us anything is that having a reserve of cash is crucially important for Really anyone, but I mean the especially the the people that were affected the most by this, like some of the you know, service professionals. I mean, just getting hammered right now. And if they had if they had saved up a year's worth of income, they'd be in a lot better position to have protected themselves.
0: Yeah. And when I mentioned nine months of reserves, I, I do want to clarify that is a rainy day fund. And that could be across multiple assets because In my own life, and I think we might've talked about this in a previous show, I really only like to keep two to three months of reserves in an actual bank account. My remaining portion of my rainy day fund actually sits in an IBC whole life policy, and that's truly where the bulk of my rainy day funds reside. And so there's a transition that happens. If you're in your twenties, you got to save up that emergency fund. And we do recommend nine months worth of reserves. But once you get to that nine month mark, you're right because interest rates are so low. And also because there's a lack of economic benefits to keeping money in the bank. You do want to start to transition that money over to a long-term savings vehicle like IBC because you're going to get so much more in the way of benefits and growth from that money by transitioning two-thirds of it to an IBC whole life policy.
1: Absolutely. And then I think we, we were talking about the second priority. Everything over and above that becomes a pool of money that's under our control that becomes our opportunity fund. And so, you know, opportunities come our way in life. Like the You know where we're going to get the most return is probably not in a mutual fund. It's through an opportunity that comes our way. The people who can take advantage of opportunities are people that have cash. If more young people understood that, they could probably blow away the returns they're going to get in the stock market by just being there and having cash and being able to take advantage of opportunities that come their way.
0: And to that point, almost 20 years into my financial services career, I can probably count on one hand how many mutual fund millionaires I've met. The majority of people that I've come into contact with who have accumulated a large nest egg, I'm talking a million dollars plus, did it by controlling assets outside of Wall Street. We're talking about real estate, business ventures, not everything that they've built up is market-based. And I think that's an interesting take on things because we're we're so conditioned to think 401ks, mutual funds, Wall Street, and be 100% market-based. We forget about the entire other investing world that's out there where we can accumulate and multiply our wealth and do so certainly never with any guarantees, but I'd say a greater likelihood that we are able to turn those uh, nest egg dollars into something that really is going to multiply and I'd say more to the point, allow us to be diversified across multiple different assets instead of being concentrated solely in one.
1: That's a great point. And being able to find opportunities that can then also create multiple income streams becomes you know, really how, to your point, the, the wealthy people that we come across, that's really how they become wealthy by creating multiple income streams and then just growing it from there.
0: Yeah. And there, there's a point I want to add to that. If you're in your 20s, you've got this tunnel vision about funding your 401k, uh, buying mutual funds. The problem that you're going to face later on, aside from being really concentrated just in one asset class is the fact that you're really restricted when it comes to your retirement income planning options later on. That's the whole discussion about how to generate income in retirement. But the, the big takeaway I would leave you with here is that the more types of assets that you accumulate within your overall portfolio, the better off you're going to be because you're going to have more options when it does come time to retire. From experience and talking to people in their fifties who are so concentrated with their market-based investments, the, the frustration is they don't know how they're going to generate income and they really lack the options that others will have who have a diversified asset portfolio. So something to keep in mind for, for those of you in your twenties who, you know, thinking long-term, try to expand that vision. Don't, don't get tunnel vision just on a hundred percent market-based strategy.
1: Yeah. And just to tie back, that was episode number 23, where we talked about creating income with whole life insurance. And we'll put that in the show notes of this episode.
0: So let, let's do a quick review on the priorities. We got to save before you invest. And then priority number two is establish a pool of money under your control.
1: Right. And segueing from what you just said about, you know, being in your 20s and thinking, kind of having that long range thinking like Nelson Nash would always say, think long range and being able to pull more income from assets by having whole life insurance. The number two thing that we always hear from clients is I wish I could have started this 20 years ago. And so it becomes One of those things where it's not always easy to convey to someone in their 20s and even in their 30s, well, heck, even in their 40s, you know why they should have some permanent life insurance. The sooner you start, the more powerful it is because it has all that time to grow and compound and just becomes this massive guaranteed asset with which you can use to replace the value of your other assets.
0: When 20-somethings think about life insurance, the objection that many 20-somethings have about life insurance is that they don't feel they have a need for death benefit. And I would say that's partly due to the conditioning that they've heard over and over again. There's a lot of financial education that needs to happen in your twenties so that you can start to see the bigger picture. And I, I think this is really where the financial industry needs to grow by leaps and bounds because there's so much economic value that a permanent death benefit provides later on. And we keep on hitting it at this. I mean, we just did a, a few minutes ago about how it creates more retirement options, but it, it's hard to grasp the full value of a whole life policy when you're in your 20s simply because the conditioning is so strong and the messaging is almost beat into your head that you should buy term and invest a difference that as you mature and you become an adult middle career late career you just fail to really ever learn the full economic value of these whole life policies
1: it's huge and so you compiled a nice list of reasons someone in their twenties should be looking at whole life insurance as part of what they're doing over the course of their financial life. Do you want to go through that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what I highlighted first and foremost is for 20 somethings, you know, it's definitely not about the death benefit right now. It's about controlling your money with an asset class, that combines the greatest combination of benefits in one place. That's really what you're looking to accomplish in your twenties. You're looking to build a pool of money that you have total control over. You want it to have uninterrupted compounding growth, tax favored, anytime access. You want it to be portable. No matter if you're already on your seventh job and third career choice, you want to be able to take it wherever you go. Uh, Ideally, You want no market losses. Uh, You also want this plan because it locks in your health insurability. I mean, John, seriously, how many people do we talk to who are in their 40s and 50s and they're starting to struggle with their health? It doesn't usually get much better as you age. You know, that refrain that you shared, I wish I would have started this 20 years ago. How many people have said that knowingly because they now realize they should have done it when they were healthy?
1: Even... For the people who are older, clients who are older, the best case scenario for them is that they can buy it and it's way more expensive.
0: And it still works, by the way, but right. it definitely would be more attractive and more powerful if you gave it an extra decade to two decades, maybe even three decades to start compounding.
1: As a as a young person, imagine if you could put your money in a place that earns 40 times what you could earn in a bank, Right. Uh, You you have a great quote about you're always in
0: two businesses. What's that one? Well, this is coming from Nelson. He said your first business should be what you do for a living. And then your second business should be the business of banking. And he goes on to say that the business of banking is eternal. There's no business, no other business that can operate without the business of banking. But we're not told how to set up a financial system, a banking system where we can own and control it. And so one of the things that I put in this list is that this type of strategy, the infinite banking strategy, allows you to be your own boss financially, even if you happen to be a W-2 employee. I want you to stop and think about that for a moment because I, I think it's really powerful. If you can establish a banking system that puts you financially as the boss of that system, what you've now entered into is an additional business on top of your primary business. And so it really unlocks future potential that you otherwise won't have, especially if you're W2 and contributing to a 401k and you know you're locked into that system with no flexibility whatsoever.
1: To your point about worrying about the death benefits. So someone in their in their 20s like I don't I'm I'm not worried about death benefit. I'm not married yet. I don't have anybody for the death benefit to go to just pay attention to all those points that John just covered. Don't even think about the death benefit. And then 20 years later, you can call us and then now we can talk about this huge death benefit that you've accumulated. And you're going to be really happy that you have it,
0: but you don't even have to think about it right now. Just think about it as your savings account. And the reason why is because ultimately at the end of the day, money has to reside someplace The sooner you get started with building a foundation for your wealth, the better off you're gonna be. In fact, if I could go back to my 20 something self, this is exactly the one piece of advice that I would give myself. Forget the, the 401k, forget dollar cost averaging into mutual funds. First, set up an entity that allows you to dump money in, and always have control over it in a place where it's gonna compound uninterrupted even while you use it for the rest of your life. Create that entity so that you have control over your financial life. You do that now, it's gonna pay dividends upon dividends, no pun intended, for the rest of your life.
1: If if I could go back to my 20-year-old self and put all my money uh, into something like this I could still have gone out and done all those fun things that I did, gone on all the trips, done all the, you know, all the activities. At the end of it, I would have had something to show for it because I would have had control, use and leverage over my money that I would have never lost the growth on that. So you can become more responsible uh, by doing this. But even if you have that irresponsible streak where you just want to go out and do stuff and have a blast, you can change your whole outcome by taking control of your money
0: be amazing if we could invent time machines, wouldn't it?
1: (laughs) One day getting close.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe someday. Let's finish off with a recommended reading list for our 20 somethings out there.
1: I think we start from simple to more, a little more complex. Let's go, we'll we'll say the first three in this order. Number one is richest man in Babylon. It's almost more of, it's written almost more like a parable. Um, So it's very easy to grasp but it has some extremely powerful concepts in there. Number two would be Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I recommend Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's probably the number one um, personal finance book ever. You've probably heard of it if you haven't already read it, but if you haven't read it, I like it because it changes your mindset in terms of how you're really looking at how money works for you. And, And it does so through story. I think it, it gives people a little bit more of that kind of business owner mentality, especially, especially if you're a W-2 employee. Read this book so that you get a little bit of a sense of using your money more like a business owner rather than an employee. And then the third book, of course, is Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash, who's the founder of the Infinite Banking Concept. And then once you kind of understand those other things, this book starts to make a lot more sense because now you're looking at how you can control and use your money just like the banks do. So rather than having to go to outside sources of capital to perform all your financial activities, you become, you become your own sources of capital to, to finance all the things you're going to do over your financial life. And then two bonus books that are kind of outside of necessarily the personal finance realm. I kind of got my start in all of this stuff through my understanding of economics. I've been kind of a self-taught economics guy for going on 20 years. And the number one book on economics that I recommend is economics and one lesson by Henry Hazlitt. This book hands down will give you a very good understanding of how economics works in layman's terms rather than charts and models, because economics is more about human behavior than it is about charts and models. The charts and models are helpful, but economics in one lesson will help distill it down. So you actually have a very good understanding of how things work. And then the the last book, John actually brought up on, in our, on our prep for this episode, which is The Creature of Jekyll Island. And so this isn't necessarily a personal finance book, but it'll give you a very good understanding of how the banking system actually works and how it's not really designed to work in your favor. It's designed to work in their favor.
0: And I think my favorite takeaway from that last book, Reacher from Jekyll Island, is that it teaches you the history of money, which boggles my mind. We, we study history for how many years yeah. growing up. Great point. We never learn about the history of money. I'll, I'll just leave you with the question, why? But I think if you read that book, you'll start to come to your own conclusions as to the reason why that is so great list. If you're in your 20 somethings, you should be checking out each of these books. Be sure to stay tuned for our future episodes, because we're also going to be touching on how you should get started with IBC if you're in your 30s and going from there. Nice.
1: Well, I think that uh, that sums up this episode. This has been a, a fun one to talk about, John, so thanks. And for everybody out there, feel free to go to thefifthedition.com. If you have any questions or you want to talk to us about infinite banking, life insurance, finance, you can book a 30-minute appointment with us right there on our website. Use our online calendar and we'll get something set up.